0: It marks officially the day that Wes McKay is the pastor here at Crosspoint. Now, we all know that he's been here for a while, at least the last uh, 17 months as an interim and then way before that of almost five years, I guess, Wes. In fact, I I was here for one Sunday, and early when he got here, I heard him preach. He preached on Matthew chapter 1 on the genealogy of Jesus. Now, for most people, that's not very exciting. But Wes did an outstanding job. I said, I like that young man, and I know that you do as well. That's why we're having this installation service today. But secondly, not only does it mark the day, February the 6th, 2022, where he's officially the pastor, but secondly, it's a day not just simply to focus upon Wes and Myra, but for us as a church body also to look internally. It's a day that we individually as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ have an opportunity to submit our lives anew and afresh to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So not only should we look and point and say, okay, we're installing West, but then allow the light of the Holy Spirit to turn internally as he delivers the word in just a few moments to say, God. What do you want to do in my life? How do you want to change me? And then, thirdly, it's a day for us, corporately as a body, to affirm that this is the will of God for our church. Through a long process, through, I think, a deliberative process, we now will affirm today that this is God's will for our church, Point Baptist Church. Now, in the installation, there are two char- charges that are given. And so, to make it easy for you, I'm going to do Wes first. So, Wes, if you would come up here on stage, you're not going to have to raise your right hand or anything like that. But if you'd respond with an affirmative, I will after each of the charges given to you. Wes McKay, will you seek to shepherd the flock of God, Cross Point Baptist Church, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain but with eagerness? I will. Will you strive earnestly to be an example to this flock in all aspects of your life morally, financially, emotionally? And spiritually? I will. Will you be faithful to preach the word? Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction? I will. Will you continue to love your wife, Myra, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and to be faithful to her and only her? I will. Will you continue to manage your household well, keeping your children, Jude, Grant, and Hayes, under control with all dignity?
1: Lord, Lord, help me. <laughs> Have mercy on me. Yes, I, I will do my best. <laughs> I'll do my best.
0: Will you be vigilant to be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist? And fulfill your ministry. I will. Will you be faithful to pray for this membership that the love within this fellowship will abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. I will. Now, would you affirm all of these statements with an affirmation of an amen.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: Praise the Lord. Now congregation, would you please stand? It's your turn now. After each statement, would you affirm with an we will. Will you pray on behalf of your pastor that utterance may be given to him? in the opening of his mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Will you put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, on the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm? Will you hide God's word in your heart, so that you will not sin against God, and that you will allow his word to be a lamp unto your feet, and a light. Unto your path. Will you love one another even as Jesus has loved you? And by this all men will know that you are Jesus' disciples if you have love for one another. Will you be intentional and consistent stewards in your giving so that you honor the Lord and honor the Word by giving the whole tithe into the storehouse and that you give as God had purposed in your heart, not grudgingly? Or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And will you go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded you, and lo, He is with you always, even until the end of the age. Will you strive not to grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed? For the day of redemption, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Will you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship? And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Will the members of Cross Point Baptist Church, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, confirm all these statements of obedience by giving an amen? You may be seated. Myra, would you come? I'm still working on the gym. Hold on just a second. Hold on. Right on here. <clears throat> Myron in uh, West, right here. So much is talking about West. We wanted to give you something as well to remind you of this day. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 31, verse 23 says this Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits with the elders of the land. What's a really interesting thing about Proverbs chapter 31 is this. It's the story of the Proverbs 31 woman. And most believe, many believe that that it was really a reference to Ruth, the model wife, and that it's a reference to the Ruth and Boaz relationship. But the reality was, Boaz was a good man. But when Ruth came along, She made him a better man. In fact, she made him a great man. The reality is about this, Myra, as good as Wes is, he wouldn't be anything without you. You not only make him a better man, you make him a better pastor. And when you see Wes doing well, and you understand that relationship and how he's leading, understand this as well, behind every excellent man is a well, besides a surprise mother-in-law, is as a godly, obedient wife. And so, Myra, we want to you with this. Hold that, a minute, West. It's heavy. Amen. So this is just a basket of really good stuff. It's all Cajun stuff. And so hot sauce, Tony Saturies, you just name it in there. Just as a way of as you open that up, be reminded, this is from the Baptist Association of Greater Baton Rouge. To let you know we appreciate you, we value you, we love you. So thank you, Myra. God bless you. Amen. got something for you as well. I want you to open it up right now. Okay. Open it from the top. It should come out easy open. Explain this to you just a minute. As most of you understand, this is a shepherd's crook because of West's role as a shepherd of the flock. But understand there's a couple, about three things about this crook. It's still in the raw. It's still raw. It's unfinished, if you please. Uh, I, and when I got them, I just left them like that. But to remind us that no matter how long you're here, and we pray for a long, long time. Amen. But we pray that that God gives you much fulfillment. But to understand this, no matter how long you're in a church, the work is still going to be unfinished. There's always going to be things that have to be done, and you're not going to get it all done no matter how hard you try. But the good news is we preach about the finished work of Jesus. So why you're here, Even though the work and the ministry is going to be unfinished, praise God, the work is finished in Jesus. Secondly, this staff is made of red oak. Red oak is a very hard oak. And John R. W. Stott said it this way, to be a pastor, you need to have the heart of a child, the mind of a scholar, and the hide of a rhinoceros. Being a pastor is not for the weak. It's not for the whiners. It's not for the cowards. It's not for the compromisers. It's for those who are tough. When there's a 90% dropout rate in the ministry, not everybody, not most finish. Be strong in the Lord. And then finally, as you know that the shepherd's crook has two dynamics. It has the the staff and the rod. The staff was used to draw and to bring up close not only good sheep but sometimes wayward sheep. The rod on the other side of that it was used for other reasons at times, but not only to, if you please, to a discipline, but also to deal with predators as well. So, it also extended the reach of the, of the shepherd. There are two things that will extend your reach beyond your arms physically. Beyond your grip will be the Word of God and prayer. When you preach God's Word, you preach it faithfully. You will be able to touch and reach people in places that you could never know, in situations that you could never understand. But God's Word is swift. God's Word is accurate. God's Word is like a hammer. It is like a, it is like a fire. So continue. And I know you preach the Word, Wes. This is to affirm you. And then thirdly, secondly, Your reach is expanded when you consistently pray for your people by name. Have a time every day that you have segments of this congregation that you pray over so that when you see them, you can say, I prayed for you this week. You can't pray for them all every day. I understand that. But to consistently have a time that you pray for your people. You see, when we pray, The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. There's a power that comes from a praying pastor that just a pastor that just studies and preaches doesn't have. But when you're a faithful man of prayer, which I know you are, God will enable your reach to extend extend far beyond human reaching. So God bless you. Now, when I grew up in Mississippi, David, I was a boy scout. I was a scout for a few years. One of the things I learned as a scout is the first thing they taught us is about how to hand off your scout knife. That was the first thing you got. I always wanted to get a knife, and I got a scout knife. Loved to have my scout knife around. Them. Well, what I learned was that when you, when you have your scout knife and another scout asks for it, You have a way of handing it off. You will always hold the blade dull side in your hands. And then when the scout takes the handle of the knife, you do not let it go until he says these words. Thank you. That means he's got a grip on this thing. And then you didn't, he didn't really know he had it until you said the words, you're welcome. So, S. you're welcome.
2: I want to ask the pastor search team to also come up at this time as they're coming up, this process has not been a frivolous process. Um, You just heard Tommy talk about the amount of prayer, but I don't think he has any idea about the amount of prayer. Uh, This team was formed um, January, February-ish of last year. We met. David and I were lucky enough to be part of this group. Uh, We met, and We refined on what we wanted in a pastor, and it wasn't looking at anybody, but looking at what Scripture said and what we felt that the people here at Crosspoint desired. Uh, The people on this team were nominated and elected by the people of Crosspoint, and it was their uh, desire that we really uh, wanted to make sure that we were paying attention to. Um, This team put together a list of questions that they wanted to ask. And these questions were not the questions they wanted to ask Wes. It was the question they would ask anybody that came to uh, visit with us and in consideration. And, and this was a very strenuous set of questions. I mean strenuous. And it was debated and worded and rechanged and reworded. Uh, and this was all done with prayer. We started every meeting with the littlest one giving us advice on what we were praying for. So Gay did a great job of just seeking the Spirit and knowing what we needed to, to hear that week. And so doing that, we were bathing our time together in, in that prayer. When we uh, finally resolved and got all of our processes together, um, there was one person, there were several people had expressed interest, but there was one person in particular that, we felt we should give the first shot at. Uh, And so uh, that was Wes. And so we treated Wes just like any other person that we would have uh, called or uh, interviewed. Myra, unfortunately, had to be part of that process also. And I wish there was a way that we could share with you what we experienced We were with both of them because we saw humility in both of them and honesty and a vulnerability that I think overwhelmed us more than we thought it would. And at that point, we knew that the heart of God existed in them individually, but existed in them as a couple. And it just was such a tremendous blessing to us. Um, And so after that, we still, three more nights we spent with Wes, asking questions and uh, inquiring and having him inquire back and forth. Again, this was not something that was just easy to do. And so I hope you know that they did this on your behalf, but you were in that room also. Uh, Many of you were, were mentioned at times as we thought about things, We were reminded about things that you had done and things that you had said over the years in your time at Crosspoint. Uh, And I feel like it's not just enough to thank the Pastor's Search team, but I want to also make sure that we're praying over them today and thanking them for what they have done because they did not take this job lightly. I don't think anyone of them wanted to do it again anytime soon. Um, I know most of our spouses don't want us to have to go through it anytime soon. Well, again, we are just so thankful for this process. Um, we didn't go with the easy fix, uh, maybe quite the opposite. We, we dug deeper, and um, with that, I feel like we have set ourselves, or God, uh, through this team and through great prayer, has set uh, us up for a great opportunity for our growth in ministry. Um, We are honored to be able to call Wes, my pastor. So, if you are an ordained pastor, ordained minister in the room, I would like for you to come forward and to also stand with us as we, please come be part of us. because we want you to be with Wes, put your hands on him, bathe him as we pray. Join me as we pray. Father, you have taken us on a journey that has been covered in prayer, that has been led by the Holy Spirit, that has had a single purpose and to find the next man to lead the ministry here at Cross Point Church. Father, you allowed this congregation to bring forward nine people to serve on a team. They were charged with a particular task. Lord, they took this task seriously. They made... Uh, known to each other what they felt were the desires of the people in this church, and they made known what they felt were uh, the needs of our church. They worked and prayed together over those desires and over those needs, and they came up with uh, uh, an image or a model of who they thought uh, should be that next pastor, Lord, and then You allowed them to take time to um, examine a candidate that was brought before us, Lord. Yes, they knew this candidate. Yes, they loved this candidate. But they even took their own feelings about Wes and they put it aside and they laid bare their honest desires for a senior pastor and the desires of this church. And Lord, you have uh, allowed your spirit to work in their hearts and allowed them to call Wes as our pastor. Father, we are fortunate to have a man such as Wes. We're fortunate to have the support of other churches, Tommy, that they will both embrace Wes and encourage Wes and strengthen Wes. They will be a resource to Wes, Lord. We're also very, very lucky
1: The Wes is a wife.
2: That many of us love more than Wes. Father, we thank you for the way that you have made them, the couple that they are, the family that they're raising, the sacrifice that they make of both their marriage and their family to the body of Christ here at Cross Point. Father, I pray that you will protect their marriage. I pray that you will. Uh, protect their time as parents. Father, I pray that um, we will not be uh, the source of the dissension that would arise in their household, Lord. Father, I think it's um, provident that Tommy gave Wes a staff today because one of the common things that we talked about, the pastor search team talked about was that the pastor needs to smell at like the sheep. And we know that when he's in our midst, we know he's there. He's not easily missed. Uh, even when he's not with us, we know uh, he's a great comfort to us. We know he's available. Father, I thank you for uh, the way that you have tested him just in the last 18 months during this process, uh, and he has never failed the test. Um, so, Father, my prayer now is that you will bless Wes, you will bless Myra, you will bless their ministry here at Crosspoint. Father, I thank you for this pastor search team and what they have done and what they have meant to this church. And more importantly, Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the body of believers here at Crosspoint that desire to continue to spread your word and to make disciples of all people for the good of all people and the glory of God. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. now it's time for our weekly offering. If you're new to Cross Point, um, we do things a little differently. We bring our offerings forward and we have two baskets up here. Uh, these are baskets that uh, came from Rwanda made from uh, women in um, just uh, difficult situations there um, and these baskets remind us that our God is a, and so when we bring money up front. It's not just for what goes on here at Crosspoint, but it's also for uh, the work of the gospel uh, locally, nationally, and all throughout the world. If you're a visitor, we don't expect you to have to bring anything, but you're more than welcome to. Uh, Members, if you'll just take time now just to pray with uh, your families and consider what you would bring, and then just come and bring as you feel led.
1: morning. My name is Wes McCann, I'm the senior pastor at Cross Point. Like I said, I expect that every week. So um, well I uh, it is a special day and I'm excited to be here, excited to have my family here, my mom and my in-laws and and uh, family and friends. Um, I have my my one of my uh, best friends who has been a best friend since kindergarten here with me and him and his wife and uh, best friends from seminary and from college and uh, and so I'm just really blessed. And then I have a mentor here, Pastor MacArthur Greensberry, uh, who has mentored me while I've been here in uh, Baton Rouge, and so it's a sweet day. I'm I'm very excited to be here, and uh, I prepared a, a special message for you um, from First Corinthians 10. I thought. Um, the most appropriate text and topic to cover this morning would be eating uh, of the meat sacrificed to idols. I felt like this fit the occasion, so we'll be in 1 Corinthians 10:23 through 11:1. If you don't get that joke, we're in—we've been in 1 Corinthians, and this is just the next text. Uh, so I didn't prepare anything special for this. We're just—we were in 1 Corinthians 10:14 through 22 last week, and now we're in the next verses. So. So uh, that is where we'll be. Once you have arrived at 1 Corinthians 10:23 through 11, would you please stand for the reading of God's word. It says this. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are supposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat for the sake of the one who informs you. And for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is God's word. may be seated. So as you can tell, um, the title of the sermon is, For the Good of All People and for the Glory of God. And if you're a Crosspoint member here, have you ever heard that phrase? Yes, many times. Crosspoint Baptist Church exists to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. And what is so great is that that phrase, for the good of all people and for the glory of God, actually does a great job of capturing Paul's message here in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1, is that it's able to hold these two truths together that in our freedom in Christ, as it pertains or in regards to eating meat sacrificed to idols, is that we hold these two tr- truths together, is that what is for the good of others and what is for the glory of God? Those are the two things that we're going to hold simultaneously. And so the main point of what we're going to cover today is this is that we should seek the good of all people and the glory of God with our freedom in Christ. That is what we should do. So we're going to look at three things. The first is for the sake of others. So that Paul is going to make a point here in verses 23 through 24 is to consider, to consider others' interest above your own as it pertains to the question of what you should eat and what you should drink. Uh, you know, as you may already know, is that Joe Burrow is going to the Super Bowl this year. And uh, let me just ask you this. Would it be morally wrong or illegal for Joe Burrow to, in the Super Bowl, to change every play at the line and call a QB sneak? Would it be wrong, morally wrong, or illegal? No. He can do that. He's a quarterback, right? Or could he change the play, uh, you know, uh, at the line and pass it every single play to increase his passer rating. Yeah, he could do that, right? He has the freedom to do that. But let me ask you this. But is it in the best interest of the Cincinnati Bengals for him to do that? No. It is not in the best interest of the team, team chemistry, of the goal of winning. It probably wouldn't make his running backs very happy or his wide receivers very happy or his coach or the organization is that, yes, it may increase his rushing yards, it may increase his passer rating, but it is not in the interest of the team. Joe must take the team's interest and goals into consideration, and that is Paul's argument right here in these verses. Is that we may have the freedom and the rights in Christ Jesus to do many things, but that doesn't mean we should exercise our freedoms and our rights at the expense of the spiritual well-being of other people. And so this is what he gets into in these just first couple of verses in verse 23 and 24. Look at look what he says. All things are lawful. And he's going to say it here in verse 23 twice. And if you can recall in our study of 1 Corinthians, we've already seen this language in chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful. And this is kind of uh, what Paul's is doing is he's bringing out a slogan that's being used in the Corinthian church of what people are using to kind of exercise their freedom in Christ. Is that I have the right to do this? All these things are lawful for me. They they they're, they're not morally wrong for me to do these things. And so in Christ, I have the freedom to do this. And Paul doesn't disagree with them. Paul, Paul agrees, but he attaches two qualifiers onto it if you see here in verses 23 and 24. He says all things are lawful, but not all things are what? Helpful or profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things, what? Build up. There's two qualifiers on there. And the qualifiers are meant is that, yes, you have freedom in Christ, but it doesn't all necessarily always mean it's the best thing for you to do for the sake of others. It's that just because you can do something doesn't mean you, what? Should do something. Our rights aren't to be considered above all, preeminent, above everything else. Is that we must also consider the spiritual well-being of others is what Paul's saying here. Is that it's, it's meant to what you do, and particularly what you eat here, your actions, your rights, the exercise of your rights, your freedoms in Christ, should be for the building up of the body. This is temple language here that we've already seen Paul use in 1 Corinthians. Temple language is that Paul intentionally uses the words build-up to speak about construction. That God's people are the temple, and that your actions, you should see your actions as the goal of it being construction and not demolition. Is that the use of your freedoms and rights should be used for construction and not demolition of the body. And this is what he goes on to say, is that this is the principle in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Again, we see this perfectly pictured in Christ Jesus in Philippians 2, 4, right? When Paul says this very thing, again, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. This is the underlying principle. So we need, we need to, he wants the Corinthians and he wants us to keep this in our heads as we go throughout the rest of this passage, is that seek the interest in the spiritual well-being of others for their help and for their building up and not just your own interest is that we must consider the spiritual well-being of others in our exercise of our freedom in Christ Jesus and let let me just point of application for us as we think about this how much different would the church be if we were to consider this before any action or or thought or speech was taken how much different would would this be is that before any word was spoken or action was taken, we said this, I have the right to say or do this, but is this going to help or harm the body? Is this going to help or harm the body? Is that will my words or actions, will they demolish or will they construct? Consider how different the church would be if before any action that we take, we actually did this principle that Paul's saying here, it says, is what I'm going to say or do right here, is this going to actually contribute to the building up and construction of the body of Christ? Or is it going to be used to harm and demolish them? Man, if that, if that question ran through our minds before we made any, any decision, I think we would be a lot different. Because I fear, here's the two things that we usually do. We either say, I don't care how my actions or words are going to affect other people. I don't care how they're going to affect other people. Or we do the second thing. We speak or or act first and think later. And man, Paul's saying here is just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you should do it. And maybe the question you should be asking yourself is, do I have the right to do this? You should be asking yourself, I have the right to do this, but should I do it for the good of God's people? Am I considering the interest of others above my own? Am I reflecting Christ accurately in these actions and words? And so this is, this is kind of the, the, the sub-level underneath his whole argument is this principle. The good of others above our own good. And so Paul's going to move to a more balanced approach to the question of eating meat sacrificed to idols. So this is point number two. So we think about this. For the sake of others. So keep that in your mind. And then we're going to look at number two. For the sake of conscience. You're going to hear that word come up over and over again. And, you know, anytime we're, we're reading through passages, you know, setting is key. Setting is key. Setting is key in all of life, interestingly. You know, blowhorns, and we've already brought up, you know, Mississippi State, so I'll go ahead and say something about them. Blowhorns and those annoying, uh, what are those things called? Satan's toys, you know. Um you know, blow horns and, uh, and cowbells are appropriate at football games, right? Right? But that, they're not appropriate in the middle of a funeral. Why is that? Unless it's a Mississippi State Bulldog funeral, I guess. But it's, it's not appropriate, right? It's appropriate for us to cheer and paint up our bodies and go to to football games and blow horns and and, and ring cowbells, but in the middle of a funeral, that is not the place to paint yourself up and blow on, you know, blow horns and ring cowbells. Setting is key. Setting is key. And so at this point, if you were here last week, we talked about how, how Paul forbid them eating meat sacrifice to idols and you come here and you read this passage you're like man Paul must be contradicting himself because he just he's saying now you can eat eat so okay is Paul contradicting himself and here is here is the change is this the setting is key the setting so is Paul contradicting himself no because if you look in 14 through 22 this is in the context of pagan temples is that the Corinthians are going to pagan temples and they're eating knowingly the meat sacrificed to idols. They're in that worship context setting where people would not be able to discern or distinguish them from believers and pagan idol worshipers. And so he says, it's wrong when they go to the altar in the temple and eat this meat, but in the meat market and in the homes, it's okay. It's okay. It's a worship context. And so here's what Paul's going to do in just, in just verses 25 through 30 is that he's going to give us a couple of situations, a couple of situations, three situations, where, hey, here's when you can eat, and here's when you should refrain. Here's when you can enjoy, and here's when you should withhold from partaking. And here's number one situation is this. In the meat market, or in the marketplace, verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So if it's sold in the meat market, what he's telling them, the, the meat sacrifice to idols, if it's sold in the meat market, you know, in the kind of the, the grocery stores of, of, of Corinth, eat it. Enjoy it. You don't know if it's been, has a sketchy, you know, uh, spiritual origin of whether it was sacrificed to Anything. So because it's unknown or because it's ambiguous, eat and enjoy it. The best way I can explain this to you, it's like, you know, going to Rouse's and then I call over one of the attendants. and like, hey, can you come over here? I need you to check out this ribeye. I got a question about this ribeye right here. Can you come over? Do you know if this recently was sacrificed to Zeus by chance or Molech or anybody like that? I really need to know before I buy this ribeye. No. If it's sold in the meat market, eat and enjoy it. Right? And what's Paul's reasoning for, for this? Well, his reasoning is Scripture itself in verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul says, here's the reasoning by why you can eat the meat, sacrificed idols in the meat market when it's sold there, is because of Psalm 24:1. Is that God possesses all things. And He is sovereign over all things. And He owns all things. As Psalm 50 will say, He owns the cattle on what? On a thousand hills. It is all His. It is all His. And so partake. Enjoy the good gifts that God's given you. And eat it with thankfulness to the sovereign God who possesses all things. Don't let the origins, the unknown or ambiguous origins of this meat, don't let it. Affects your thankfulness and worship to God. Here's number two. So if it's in the marketplace, eat and enjoy. Number two, situation. Verse 27. If in an unbeliever's home and you don't know the meat's origin, eat and enjoy. Is that if you're in an unbeliever's home and they offer you a meal and you don't know where that meal came from and they they haven't said anything about it, eat. Enjoy. Eat with thankfulness to the host that's invited you there. Don't refrain from eating. And you also don't have to go investigating, pilfering through their fridge, saying, where did this meat come from? Was this cage-free? Like, well, you know, I I need need to know where this meat came from. What what pagan temple has come from? You don't have to go checking the wrapping on these things. He says, just eat with the guest, the unbeliever that's invited you in. Which, again, I think this is Paul's subtle way of saying, is that Christians aren't to be isolated away from unbelievers. He's saying, man, they're inviting you into their homes. Go. Go and enjoy. And so, any, any, any person that says that Christians should be isolated away from the lost in the world, man. They haven't read Paul here. Be in their homes. Eat the food that they offer to you. But there's a situation number three where they are to refrain. Verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice," then do not eat. So there's a situation where you are... You are are brought into an unbeliever's home, and maybe they know that you're a Christian. And so they said, hey, just want to let you know that this was offered to Zeus for his worship, or whoever it may be. Then at that point, you refrain. You refrain. You don't partake. And so what is Paul's reasoning for refraining in this situation? For the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of their conscience. Now, why would we refrain, or why would Paul say refrain, for the sake of their conscience? Because this, is that your partaking of it may send the wrong message to them. Your partaking of it may say, basically, I don't have a big deal with idols. Idolatry's not a big deal to me. No, I don't mind. It sends and communicates the wrong message to the unbeliever who has invited you into their home. Is that it... It's inconsistent with the gospel, what Paul's saying. It sends the wrong message about the gospel. But actually, you know, one author has said this, is that Paul Paul may have wanted them to refrain because that actually may give them an opportunity to explain their own convictions. To explain their own witness. And man, how truthful is that of the Christian witness today? That if we actually refrain from such things in the world, and that actually that was a testimony and a witness to the world in and of itself, in refraining from things. Is that we actually, in our refraining from things of the world that are sketchy, is that that is actually a witness in and of itself where we get asked the question, why do you not do that? Why are you not like this? why don't you act that way? Why don't you do that thing? Is that our refraining, our partaking and our refraining in the right setting, in the right context, can actually be a witness, a consistent witness to the gospel and open up opportunities. And and what Paul's going to do, he's going to come back at these people who continue to say, all things are lawful, all things are lawful, I got the right to do all these things. He's going to come back and he's bringing up some rhetorical questions in verse 29 and 30 saying, Why do I have to care about other people's conscience? Why do I have to be concerned about what other people? Why do I have to be concerned about the sake of others in all these questions? Why why do I got to consider how this is going to affect other people? Why should I refrain and suffer for the sake of someone else? And his point is going to be this. Because Christ did. Because Christ did. And so I want to make two points here. Two pieces of application. Is that Paul's saying is that in Christ Jesus, we have the freedom to enjoy things, but we also in Christ Jesus have the freedom to refrain from things. Is that in Christ, we have the freedom to enjoy things, to enjoy God's good creation, to enjoy good gifts that God gives, because He is a good giver, right? Is that if it's not explicitly sinful or connected with idolatry or anything like that. God's saying, and Paul's saying, enjoy God's creation with thankfulness and gratitude towards Him. Enjoy and participate. And I would just ask this, do you regularly, do you regularly thank or enjoy the simple pleasures that God gives in life? Do you regularly partake of them and enjoy them? Maybe it's, I mean, maybe a cup of coffee in the morning, I I don't know. But do you regularly are thankful and enjoy and partake of God's creation with thankfulness? Because the principle is this. God doesn't intend for you to refrain from everything. What that is, is that's monks, right? Refrain from everything. Abstain from everything. There is no good thing in this world. It is all bad, so don't do any of it. Paul actually has a word for those kind of people. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. is that there's going to come people that say, and there are people, there are, there are denominations, there are groups of people in this world that claim Christianity and say, nothing in this world is good. You cannot partake in any of it. And that is not what Paul is saying here. He's saying enjoy, participate, partake. Because God made it and He is good. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean you have to refrain from everything. Means you can't enjoy things, but freedom in Christ also does mean that we should, we should refrain from some things, because our freedom in Christ should not, um, it should not, lead us into unrestrained license to do everything and anything that we want. Is that freedom in Christ should lead us to careful discernment, careful wisdom, as not to fall into unrestrained carnality. Temptation, sin, or unrestrained freedom that leads other people to sin? Is that sometimes treasures in this world can become traps for us. Treasures in this world can become traps for us. Good things, we make good things, us sinful people, we make good things idols. We make good things idols. And so we have to be careful, in, with our freedom in Christ, we have to be careful how we use our freedom, and that it does not lead other people to sin, that we do have self-control. And so we have to, we have, to have a good kind of picture of how do we make decisions of what to participate in, what to do, uh, how, what decisions to make. And one, uh, one author popped this out to me, a really good, um, would you throw that up on the screen for me, Dale? A really good way of thinking through this, this is from Vaughn Roberts in Decision Making. And so this is how he kind of sets it up from, from 1 Corinthians 8-10. through 10. It says, the first question is, does the Bible allow it? No. Easy answer, what? Don't do it. If the Bible doesn't allow it, don't do it. But if yes, here's the second question. Does my conscience allow it? And the conscience is kind of your moral indicator of whether... This bothers you or this, this, this kind of raises red flags for you. And what, what Paul is saying is this. If it, if it bothers your conscience, and even he gives, he gives a hint of that here is this. If you are disposed to go, if it bothers your conscience to go into an unbeliever's home and potentially eat uh, meat sacrifice styles, then don't go. Don't go. So we have to consider conscience. Is this going to bother you? Because Paul's not saying suppress your conscience even if it bothers you. Does my conscience allow it? No, then don't do it. But if yes, if the Bible allows it and my conscience allows it, here's three other questions to ask. Is areas of freedom, what is the effect of my actions on other Christians? Because love is more important than knowledge. What is the effect on non-Christians? Because the gospel is more important than my rights. And number three, what is the effect on my spiritual life? spiritual health is more important than freedom. This is a good thing to think through. When you have a hard decision to make and you don't know what to do and you're thinking, man, how how am I going to make this decision? Well, here's how. Does the Bible allow it? Does my conscience allow it? And then, how does it affect Christians, non-Christians, and my own spiritual health? And I think this is just good ways of thinking through hard decisions that we have to make that may not necessarily be so black and white. And so, our decisions matter is what Paul's getting at here. Your decisions matter. They affect you, they affect Christians, they affect non-believers. Your decisions matter. And they're significant, your decisions are significant for two big reasons. And it's this, number three, for the glory of God. As we already said, the mission statement, for the good of all people and for the glory of God is is that we recognize here at Crosspoint is that what we do in making disciples of all nations is that we ultimately know we are doing it for the good of people and for the glory of God. That's the two things that we hold together. We stole this, I mean, tw- 20 or so years ago, Crosspoint stole this from Paul and plagiarized it. And said, uh, so this is what we're going to be about. For the good of all people and for the glory of God. Because this is, this is what Paul wants to get at here in verses 31 through eleven-one. Is that whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, doesn't matter. Because no action is spiritually neutral or insignificant or inconsequential. Whatever you do. And so, in the context here, why does it matter that we eat, enjoy, or refrain for the sake of others? Because it matters for the glory of God. It matters for the glory of God. What he says in 10:31 is that there's no area in our life that is out of bounds with this thing, is that all things are to be done to bring God the, the utmost praise, affection, adoration, exaltation, honor and worship. And glory by all people, is that all of our actions are meant to, to direct, focus and attention at Christ. as Colossians 3:17 says. And so all of our actions matter because are we pointing towards Christ? Are we pointing other people's attention and focus towards Christ? And so this principle is life-encompassing because it's not just, just eating or drinking. It's whatever you do. Changing dirty diapers for the glory of God. Filing your taxes for the glory of God. Driving on the interstate for the glory of God. which is very hard. It matters because everything is to be done for the glory of God. And so we have to consider the well-being of others in what we do and the decisions that we make because we want to accurately and rightly represent God to the world. And we want to direct people's attention and focus at God and seeing Him for who He truly is. It matters for the glory of God and the decisions that we make. Cross point. It matters. It not only matters for the glory of God, it matters for other people's salvation. That's, that's the second point that Paul wants to make. He says, give no offense. And he's not saying, don't hurt other people's feelings. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, it's about creating unnecessary roadblocks. For people to hear and understand the gospel. Give no offense to the Jew, to the Greek, or to the church of God. Don't create unnecessary roadblocks just because you want to exercise your freedom and your rights. That will deter people away from hearing and believing in the gospel. And Paul is not a people pleaser here. This is not what we're trying to think about as people pleasing in verse 33. It's not between a people pleaser or a God pleaser. One author said, Andy Salley said it like this. The choice is not between pleasing others and pleasing God, but between pleasing others and pleasing oneself. So the purpose of what we do in the decisions that we make is not about what will bring me the most comfort, what will bring me the most satisfaction, but what will bring God the most glory, and what will enable the most amount of people to hear the gospel and be saved because this is paul's this is paul's desire but that of many that they may be saved first corinthians 9 says the same thing to the week i became weak so that i might win the week i've become all things to all people that by all means i might save some our decisions matter our decisions matter cross Point, because of god's glory and because of the salvation of the world it matters what you do it matters what you say. It matters what you participate in. It matters what you partake. It matters. And so, I want to ask us this cross point: Is the use of your freedoms and your rights drawing more attention to yourself or to God? Is you're saying all things are lawful? I can do whatever. I don't. Who, who cares how this affects other people? let me say this, is your actions and your words drawing more attention to yourself and your own rights versus God himself and his glory? Are you unnecessarily putting stumbling blocks in front of people to hear the gospel? Are you unnecessarily doing those things by the decisions that you're making? Are you putting stumbling blocks and hurdles for people to hear and obey the gospel? because all of our actions should be concerned with bringing god the utmost glory and seeing people respond in faith to jesus christ what if this is the question that we woke up every morning asking ourselves or before we acted or before we spoke what in this decision paradigm that i just showed you what will bring god the most glory and what will remove any stumbling blocks so that people may hear and believe the gospel are you imitating christ Are you laying down your own interest for the sake of others, or are you gripping tight to them, white knuckled, doing whatever you want, saying whatever you want, being whatever you want, not concerned about others? Maybe saying, why should I care, Wes? I'm in Christ. Why should I care how my action is going to affect somebody else? Why should I care how my action is going to make somebody else feel? Why should I care if my words are going to be used for construction or demolition? Why should I care for the sake of others? Paul says, because Christ did. Because Christ cared about the sake of others above his own. That's why. Are you better than Christ? Are you better than Christ? Why should we care or lay down our rights for the sake of others? Because Christ did for the sake of us. Philippians 2 6 through 7, who though he was in the form of God did not account equality with God something to be grasped, but taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Romans 15 1 through 3, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is written, The reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Why should we be concerned about the sake of others? Why should we be concerned about the well-being of others? Why should we be concerned about the good of others? Because Christ was concerned about our good. When we cared nothing for Him. When we were rebels in sin and enemies of the cross. Is that Christ in His supreme glory cared about our sake and became sin for us, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Is it was for the sake of others that Christ laid down His rights and His freedoms for our sake. And I would just say this to you, Crosspoint, is that as a church, as an individual, as a family, are we more concerned about our abilities and our freedoms and our rights than about the sake of others? And if so, it says we are better than Christ and we deserve more than Christ. Christ, for our sake, laid down His life. Therefore now, you who have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ, lay down your life for others, your rights for others. For the good of All people. And for the glory of who? God. Let's pray. God, make this our heart's desire is that all of our actions and decisions that are made would be filtered through this for the good of others and for your glory, O God, because we are the people who Christ has set his eyes on and for our sake has laid down his life as a ransom for many. Lord, be honored, God, in our lives, in our ministries. God, that all people would see the glory of Christ in the church. It's in Christ's name we pray.